Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, fuck me, the world's gone even more mad since last week. I say that with only with a, a tinge of a smile on my face, to be honest. Things have got weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking just before we started recording about the situation sort of two weeks ago where we were decrying the uh, pushing back of the new James Bond movie, which now seems like the most trivial thing in the world. I mean, it was trivial then, but now it is absolutely microscopic in importance because we've just been watching uh, news from the Chancellor and the Prime Minister of our country talking about the various uh, closures that are happening all around the country, pubs, clubs, cinemas, of course, gyms, leisure centres. We're going, well, we're getting closer and closer to sort of a complete societal lockdown. And within that time, it's very hard to call ourselves strangers in a cinema, or at least the people who listen to this strangers in a cinema, because there are no cinemas to go to, man. So uh, we've got to we've got to rethink things a little bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to anyone that kind of works in the film industry, really, because I know a few guys that freelance, um, some people that have guested on this very show. Uh, in fact, do do a lot of freelance work, um, and that's where their income comes from. And all projects have been stopped. So I wanted to, you know, normally we're fairly humorous on this show, but I wanted to cut through that for a bit and just say that our heart goes out to anyone. In, all joking apart, our heart goes out anyone to anyone impacted by this because it's just, yeah, it's unprecedented, it's unheard of, and it's scary times indeed. But we will try and keep you entertained. We certainly we will still be here. The show will go on, um, but obviously we won't do cinema releases for the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, it's a, it's just a very strange time. <laughs> As you rightly say, Paul, it's very serious. Everybody knows now there's like an incredibly serious thing, if anyone was under any illusions about that. But I think more than ever, really, um, of course, we know we can't make any huge impact to what is a sort of almost overwhelming uh, crisis at the moment. But I think that people more than ever need light relief, need entertainment, need escapism and so on, and just need, you know, familiar voices to listen to. And when we're on lockdown or when we're kept alone at home or or with a limited number of people at home, I think having things like podcasts that you enjoy is really important. So I feel a a duty and it's a pleasure anyway to do the show, but more than ever, I think it's important to carry on and, and deliver, you know, good content, regular reviews and keep everyone up to date because we know that there aren't cinema releases, as you say, but nobody's getting to the cinema which means we're all in the same boat. So we've got streaming platforms, we've got TV movies, and we're going to try to sort of shift the show a bit more in the direction of covering as much as we can the things that everybody has access to during this time, which I think is the only logical thing to do, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah, for sure. You know, you know, there is there is stuff, stuff coming out on streaming, there's stuff coming out on streaming that so quite often just gets lost in a, kind of in the Netflix algorithm for to take one streaming platform as an example. So yeah, if we can if we can kind of find some hidden gems, it might be, we look with this and we are just we're come I'm coming up with this on the fly, I'll be honest. It might be look back and go to maybe do another Netflix top five, maybe an Amazon top five, an L T V top five, something like that. Maybe maybe we look at doing that again. Um just to you know, hopefully help you guys find something to watch that might not be obvious to you. So um yeah, the the show will go on for us. Obviously trivial in the grand scheme of things, but the show will certainly go on. Um so yeah, with that kind of public service announcement done, Pete, what have we got for the for the rest of the show? So 
what we have, and maybe rather fittingly in the current climate, is a feature review uh, of a little movie called The Hunt from Blumhouse Productions, uh, which is also going to be the focus of our top five today. Towards the end of the show, we'll have a top five Blumhouse films from the history of that particular production enterprise, which has run from somewhere in the mid-2000s, around 2006, I think, something like that, uh, up until the current day with uh, sort of seemingly growing and uh, unrelenting success, maybe current events might have a little bit of an impact on that but uh, yeah so that's our top five Blumhouse movies we've got the feature on the hunt before all of that we always have the section called coming attractions we'll preview of course not what's coming to the cinema but instead what's coming out on a few different streaming platforms hopefully there's something in there that you might you know head towards as a, a new release before all of that we have popcorn movies what we've been watching over the last seven days we spent an awful lot of time indoors even more than normal and um, well first of all just the news section of the show but I think today's news is what we've been discussing which is I think so yeah I think that kind of covers the, the in the foyer topic really which is yeah cinemas nationwide are now closed pretty much every major release is on hold or some of which are appearing on streaming I know the hunt which we're about to talk about has been pulled forward onto streaming services I think Universal are trying a new experiment with the hunt Invisible Man and Emma certainly stateside where they charge $19.99 a movie um, so they charge basically the equivalent of two tickets two cinema ticket prices to see if they can make any any money back so I can see now the, the well I can see a lot of things appearing certainly there's been a number of things advertised to be appearing on streaming services I think Calm With Horses is now going to be streaming at the end of April, which is way ahead of when it was going to be streaming. So I think you will you will now see quite a lot of films make an early appearance on streaming services um, as cinemas trying to recoup some of the cost back. Certainly, the more mid budget stuff, I would see. I would say the the bigger budget stuff, the Bonds, the Marvels, those kind of releases. I think they will probably just hold back and wait for the cinema um, because hopefully we will get through this at some point. But yeah, certainly the mid budget stuff that needs a quicker return on investment. I can see that appearing on streaming services now. So I think we will still get a steady run of films. What what will be interesting is if this runs and runs and runs and runs a lot of film a lot of films in production have been cancelled so we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it mm. but yeah it's certainly unprecedented time i just i just want to give a shout as well about news that we haven't covered the last couple of weeks but in the last two or three weeks we've lost both james lips uh, lipton and max von sidow and i think mm. these are both significant figures at least for me and for many other film fans i mean james lipton's the guy who's hosted inside the actor studio for about a million years it seems like and now, again, I might say this a lot in coming weeks, now more than ever, if you're looking for quality content, this isn't the credits section, we'll do that later, our recommendations, but old episodes of Inside the Actors Studio are fantastic if you're a film fan, because you'll find interviews with almost anybody from across the film landscape there. And then, of course, Max von Sydow's work is, is well known to cinephiles the world over, but it's worth going back and, and enjoying some of, the, uh, some of the peaks of a career that was pretty towering, I would say. So, yeah, both of those sadly departed in the month of March um, and uh, I just didn't want to let those things pass without giving at least a little mention on the show. No absolutely I, yeah completely agree couldn't really add anything more to that to be honest but yeah both towering figures for sure so yeah may they may they rest well uh, and they're not missing out on much at the moment so yeah. So with that having been said, we will take just a little break and we'll be back in just a moment with a section of the show that we call Popcorn Movies right after this. Mm -hmm. 
So Popcorn Movies is the section of the show where we talk about films that we have watched over the past sort of five to seven days, really, I guess, depending on how much time has in, been in between shows. Um, the first one I want to talk about, Pete, is a short film. I know you've just watched this, um, so this is quite exciting to talk about. Uh, this is written and directed by a friend of the show. He's been a, he's, he's a good friend of mine, I'll be honest. I worked with him on the Exit 6 Film Festival, uh, and he has guested on the show. This is Mark Brennan. He's writer-director of short films as well, um, and he has directed a film called short film called squall pete do you want to so, so, what did you think do you want to set this one up for us a little bit yeah or i mean, I mean the, i've changed the format a little bit it's here, but... a, yeah i mean we're doing sort of a feature review if we're doing a whole setup yeah. but <laughs> yeah. uh yeah, yeah so the, the the basic setup here is that two characters that don't know one another meet at the bar in a hotel and the female uh, of the two tells uh, the man that she meets at the bar that she has just done something and it might sound really fucked up, really weird, uh, what she's just done. And she admits that she's just slept with someone for money. Um, and she doesn't really know why she did it, but maybe she was trying to feel something. It turns out that these two characters are both at basically rock bottom in their lives and looking for something, some sign of uh, positive upturn or, or hope. Um, and from this point, they proceed to drink together, dance together, and then go on a little journey together in the nighttime in which they try to... Um, make amends with maybe the the traumas and damages of the past in at least a small way. The man, uh, the male character here is played by Gary Beadle, who is a uh, alum of EastEnders um, for a number of years. I think about the time when I actually watched EastEnders, actually, so he's very familiar to me. And the performances here, particularly his, felt to me very lived in, very authentic. Uh, so that I thought that was to the film's credit. And I think that, um, just to sort of sum up my thoughts, I thought that the film did a really good job of generating stakes and um, a real sense of um, what's the word I wrote here? Yeah, a real sense of uh, human connection and stakes in a very sort of efficient and effective way over what is a running time of only about 13, 13 and a half minutes. Uh, talk about it, Paul. What did you think? Yeah, I know. I, re I really, really liked it. I think it's one of the strongest films I've seen from Mark, to be fair. Um, I think there's, it's, yeah, I think it's, you know, I've said this about short films before and I'll probably say it un un untold a number of times again. I think it's it's almost at times more difficult to get, to get an emotional bond with characters in a short film than it is in a feature because you only have literally minutes, like minutes or sometimes even seconds to kind of set up your expectations of the characters and sort of get the audience to relate to these characters. And, you uh, know, I can say from experience from working on the X66 Film Festival, a lot of films makers get this wrong you cannot waste any time in a short film um, and this one I think is is very very well paced and a very effective short film that had me kind of welling up in places and to evoke you know to bring me to near tears in under 10 minutes um, is not easy to do uh, and yeah I thought it was a very very effective very very well shot and very very well put together drama and I think for me one of the strongest pieces of work I've seen from Mark yeah uh, and that's not just because he is my friend I'll, I'll hold hold my hands up but not just because of that I just think it is a it's a very very accomplished short film yeah and and all of this uh... Uh, underscored by this sort of plaintive soundtrack which uh, had a sort of elegance and sadness to it that that I think only serves the the, the intended uh, purpose of the film which as I say is to sort of generate this feeling of um, yes loss and yes pain but also emergent human connection and the fact that these two people who feel like they've basically got nothing left I mean the man's seemingly going through a, a domestic situation which is involving the sort of tearing apart of his family uh, the woman here has lost a significant other um, which features prominently in the film and 
that by the film's end, they realise that they can contribute something. They can give something both to each other and maybe something that will improve the situation that they found themselves in. And I think to achieve all of that, as we're saying, in, in sort of 13 minutes is really impressive. So, yeah, props to Mark and the team for this one. And Squall's re really, really worthwhile. And at Squall, incidentally, a word that I think I for a long time have misunderstood, um, but a sudden, uh, short or violent gust, um, maybe as part of a... Uh, a, a storm system or emergent storm system but I think it's a very um, sort of lyrical it's a very apt yeah, very title, yes. very <laughs> lyrical title for the film so yeah one to one to look out for for sure that was really good yeah it's it, hopefully we'll be doing a run of a festival circuit soon uh, depending on which festivals it gets into and then a little while after that it will go wide um, hopefully online somewhere but that remains to be seen so short films are always tricky in terms of distribution so be a while till you can see it but when you can see it obviously we will share it widely for you to watch um, right well thank you for indulging us on a short film review um, Pete what else have you got in popcorn movies well I feel like an absolute goof now with the first one that I'm going to popcorn this week but uh, <laughs> the first one that I'm going to talk about is a little film called Guns Akimbo um, I don't know if people oh I didn't know this was oh I didn't know this was out yeah yet. it had a uh, had a release earlier this month I think you can find it online for a minimal fee but this one is ah, nice. uh, from a director called Jason Lee Howden and it stars both Harry Potter himself Daniel Radcliffe and uh, the girl who was so great in Ready or Not, Samara Weaving, of course, the niece mm. of uh, Hugo Weaving. Uh, also, Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords and What We Do in the Shadows and stuff like that. So, uh, some good people here. This thing is like um, the movie Nerve uh, that I liked quite a bit, um, what, two, three years ago now? In the sense that yeah. what you've got is a social media-driven uh, sort of game of death in which people face off against each other in uh, gunfights, usually gunfights, there are blades and stuff involved too, uh, to the death, whereby these death matches are then also uh, broadcast on the internet so that people can take in and sort of bloodlust over the events. Uh, and a sort of uh, emerging star here is a character, that, or the character played by Samara Weaving, uh, who is called Nix, and she's developing a reputation. I think at the time the movie gets underway, she's got about 37 confirmed kills. But dragged <laughs> into this thing is uh, one Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe, who wakes up one day having been uh, sort of captured by some thugs. It Basically, he drags himself into the, the sort of... Um, War Games, the uh, the uh, what's the Japanese movie that I want to remember? Battle Royale. Battle Royale. Yeah, he, yeah. he drags himself into this battle royale by basically being an internet troll who gets under the wrong people's skin. Uh, they kidnap him, and when he wakes up, he has guns nailed to his hands, so he can't do even the most basic tasks because of the guns and he also has bullet counts on each gun which doesn't fully make sense but a lot in, of this movie you just have to I was going to say he's got his Harry Potter with guns nailed to his hands so I think sense has gone out the window yeah, from that yeah. you've got to suspend disbelief a lot here a lot of it's not really even bothering to make too much sense it reminded me a bit in style of uh, something like the Neville Dean uh, movie uh, Crank oh, Crank or okay yeah a, a little bit like that and so um, there is one line of thinking which is this is sort of um, brain dead garbage that is uh, you know puddle deep and, and kind of that is the case but I think that Samara Weaving is having a terrific time just chewing scenery all over the place here and and kicking like seven shades of shit out of 
numerous goons, just so many killings of, of idiot goons. Uh, and Daniel Radcliffe's really good. I mean, he, he does really well here as this kind of put upon guy who's just trying to find a way out of a situation that he didn't really want to be in to start with. Yeah, it's trashy. Yeah, it's knockabout. Yeah, it's kind of dumb. Yeah, some of the jokes don't really land. It made me laugh out loud a couple of times as well. And I mean, in a movie like this, I'm one of the first people to kind of roll my eyes and think this isn't for me and I've got a headache. But I actually quite liked it. It surprised me. I quite like Guns Akimbo. Okay. Um, and I think that if you're looking for a bit of dumb fun and you don't mind, you know, some sort of ultra violence and uh, Gaspar Noé-esque sort of spinning cameras and stuff like that, then you might have a good time. So, um, yeah, that's Guns Akimbo. Uh, pr- pretty good, I reckon. Uh, Metascore's like 45. Not everyone's on board, but uh, I quite like it. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to check it out. I didn't know it was out, to be fair, so that's quite exciting for me. Um yeah. Okay. So I've my next film. Um, basically, I have a slight problem here because now all the cinemas have shut. If they never reopen, Pete, the last film I would have seen at the cinema. When people say, "What was the last film you saw at the cinema way back in 2020?" I will have to answer with the question. Well, I will have to answer that question with the film Bloodshot. Unfortunately, this is the last film I've seen at the cinema. Uh, is Bloodshot? This is directed by Jeff Wadlow, who I think is probably most famous. He wrote. Um, uh, he co-wrote Fantasy Island which we raved about last week uh, directed Kick-Ass 2 um, and yeah he's generally kind of a kind of yeah he's a hack for hire I, I guess he's a, he's a fair he's a fair description to say here um, Bloodshot is based on a, a little known comic book starring Vin Diesel as a lane as a slain soldier called are you ready for this Ray Garrison his name is um, who is slain in combat and brought back to life um, by an army of nano machines that basically make Vin Diesel completely invincible for the entirety of the film uh, unless someone flips a switch and turns him off uh, <laughs> so I think you, you kind of know the level of, of, of film that we're talking about here um, yeah it's it's alright I guess it's it's a difficult one it's a difficult one to like because a lot of it is very sort of flat there's a lot of uh, there's a lot very much uh, over reliance on CGI here that just the CGI doesn't always live up to live up to the to live up to what it needs to live up to Vin Diesel is being sort of Vin Diesel to the power of 10 here if you like Vin Diesel you'll like this if you don't like Vin, Vin Diesel then you'll take nothing from this to in all honesty um yeah it's just a flat kind of I think you mentioned Pete when we were previewing this like it feels like a superhero film circa sort of the mid 2000s rather than now um it just it just doesn't quite deliver the goods in the same way that other superhero films have the script's not great the, the story's I mean, there's, it takes a suspension of disbelief for superhero films, don't get me wrong, but the story here and the tech involved is just almost too silly. You've got Isa Gonzalez here is so, who's got some kind of iron lung device that means she can breathe underwater. I don't really know why. It's never really explained. You've got lots of other cybernetic soldiers running around with sort of lots of superpowers. There's some cool mech suit stuff, like 12-year-old, I think I said on Letterboxd, like 12-year-old me would have given this 6 out of 5. 38-year-old me as I am today. Oh, it's my birthday. We forgot to mention this. 38-year-old me as I am today, um, you know, watches this material and thinks, you know, I deserve better than this. The filmmakers are capable of better. Even Vin Diesel's capable of better. Bloodshot is not great. I, I kind of felt that fairly confident in predicting that would be the case. But, <laughs> yeah, but... to be fair, as did I. Um, but we were going to feature review it, but you got lucky and the cinemas got shut. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was one that actually I was robbed of, uh, as, as we all were, <laughs> because the cinema closed and I hadn't seen it yet. But it seems like I didn't miss too much. 
Yeah. Um, okay, a completely different direction from my second one. This one is Holly Slept Over. Um, it's uh, described as an unconventional comedy, but what you've got here is an indie from a director and writer called Joshua Friedlander, in which a couple is going through some uh, relationship difficulties and they have another... Uh, a, a pair of friends who are also a couple who have difficulties of their own. And these played for fairly broad laughs at turns. Uh, the other couple, the guy is played by Ron Livingston, who's an actor I think does quite good comedy work. Um, anyway, uh, the central couple in the film um, have a visitor come to their house. This is the uh, Holly of the title, played by Natalie Emmanuel, who is obnoxiously good looking and she is a former college friend of the um partner woman here in in this couple and um they had it turns out a kind of fling when they were at college and this is the backdrop for her visit so um her husband gets paranoid initially and then the ron livingston character his friend and confidant tells him no this is an opportunity if they've got some sexual chemistry this is the time in your life where you're finally going to be able to have a threesome make it happen why would you not and um yeah all sounds like fairly well-trodden territory if you've seen things like Hump Day or You Me Her which was on Netflix I think still is on Netflix or uh, films that deal with uh, menage a trois type situations but I think what is to the film's credit is that Natalie Emanuel's very very good the characters are both able um, comic actors but also able to deliver some more serious moments I invest in movies like this, even if they're even passably good. And I think this one is certainly passably good. I quite liked it. Um, I think it handled its material with a sort of uh, kind of grown up um, sense of reality while still being fairly entertaining, amusing at turns. It's not going to, you know, break any records in terms of uh, viewership. And it's probably not going to be on any lists at the end of the year. But I liked it. It was kind of warm. It was kind of entertaining. That one um, is Holly Slept Over. And yes. um, yeah, that's my next one for the week. What have you got? Uh, I rewatched um, Star Trek. Not, I mean, that's quite vague. Star Trek from 2009, the J.J. Abrams um, directed effort, the first of the reboot trilogy, as it were. Um, I remember really, really, really taken to this when it came out. I was kind of blown away in the cinema. I thought it was a, a cracking slice of sci-fi action cinema. Not necessarily in keeping with the, the more traditional spirit of Star Trek, which a number of people have pointed out. And I know this particular series, the J.J. Abrams series, and certainly some, certainly some of the later Dis Star Trek Discovery episodes have alienated certain fans and I kind of get why and I can I can see that criticism but ultimately Star Trek wasn't making any money in its existing format so it kind of needed rebooting I think in terms of to keep Star Trek on screens and they needed to do something different with it they did um, and yeah Star Trek 2009 for want of a better description of it was was what they came up with um, Chris Pine's great I think as Kirk in this the action set pieces are absolutely second to none it looked the film looks incredible um, but kind of a, a few years down the line now I have to say it's, it kind of runs about the two hour ten minute mark, which for me it's just it's just a bit too long, Pete. I'll be honest, and I maybe it's out of the cinema. I did watch it with a pretty big sound system, so it's it's not that necessarily. I just don't know. There's just bits of this I just felt didn't need to be there. Like, and I think it's I think it's a common problem with a lot of big sci fi blockbusters is they 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 feel the need to run out run over the two hour mark. And I think if this had been an hour and forty five, you know, this would have been nigh on perfect. But it just 
There's certain bits that don't need to be there. J.J. Abrams seems to have a preclusion to put in unnecessarily CGI beasties into his films. There's a, Star Trek, there's a prime example of this. I don't know if you remember the bit in this peak where there's Kirk's on the on the frozen planet and then suddenly there's a Phantom Menace kind of moment where these two big CGI creatures appear that just don't need to be there. He does it again in Force Awakens with Han Solo and Chewie's reintroduction. And yeah, he just seems to like throwing in unnecessary special effects. I don't know whether he's got excess budget to spend and he just wants to spend the rest of it. Otherwise he gets less money for his next films. I don't know. Um, but yeah, don't get me wrong. It's still a solid, thoroughly entertaining sci-fi action jaunt, but it didn't take, didn't grab me quite the same way as it has done in the past, I'll be honest. So yeah, a little bit too long. Still good, but just drags in places um another one for me this week one that you i think previously popcorn reviewed paul which is judy and punch um ah, yes. from mirror folks i've been intrigued to see what you think yeah. of this. this was an interesting film written and directed by mirror folks uh this one starring mia vasikovska and damon herriman damon herriman really really good here i mean this is mm. a um a telling of the punch and judy story but it's clever, it's smart, it's well arranged in my opinion because what you've got is the um, the traditions of the Punch and Judy story being played out in a, yes sure, a, a, a long ago time in a sort of nowhere place. The town is called Seaside but isn't by the sea. The people hope that one day the sea was going to arrive on their doorstep which is sort of a, a metaphor for the way these people live their lives. But um, yeah, at the same time you're playing out Punch and Judy as it was when we were kids and we used to watch Punch and Judy shows at the beach uh, in the real world so you see that the Punch character is a domestic abuser who is negligent towards his own family he also is aggressive violent at times towards the police officer who is basically a goon uh, like a goon like an idiot rather than a goon like a bruiser um and then at the centre, of course, you've got Mia Vasikovska, who's so able in, in sort of almost everything that she's attached to, playing the Judy character who at a certain point goes on a kind of uh, sort of warpath, uh, path of revenge, not unlike something like the Nightingale that we uh, talked about at the end of last year. Um, I thought that for the most part, yes, there's for me, there's a bit of a, a sag, a bit of a... Um, a loss of momentum at about the three quarters mark and then it sort of pulled back around towards the ending and I think the the monologue that's delivered at the end of the movie is really quite strong. Uh, standout Damon Herriman I think uh, the embodiment of this of this sort of neglectful selfish uh, solipsistic prick of a of a punch character um, I liked it though man I liked the the creation of the sort of atmosphere of the time I liked the way in which you felt very much that everything was unified and was sort of of mm. a sort and fit together well in terms of the set dressing in terms of the costumes so even though we didn't know exactly where we were or even really where we were it all made sense in combination it's all own little like um hermetically sealed world it's like a snow globe or something like that but where the snow is instead tears i guess in the in the case of judy and punch but yeah it, not not everything entirely works but you know when does it when people are taking risks and i think that there's so much to commend this movie for that i'm really ha glad i had a chance to see it and i think that um yeah the vast majority of the material here is really really good um so i liked it quite a lot yeah no i enjoyed it i enjoyed it i can't remember i did have a few problems with it i can't remember exactly what they were but yeah it's a fascinating fascinating topic they've done and i really yeah i, I was totally engaged with it for sure no it's a yeah well worth checking out 
well worth checking out. Um, not so much this next one. It dep- well, it depends how much of a late Hammer Horror film fan you are, in all honesty. I mean, the tagline's good. One uses her beauty for love. One uses her lure for blood. Which is the virgin? Which is the vampire? So, I mean, it's got a great tagline. This is Twins of Evil, um, directed by John Howe, I think his name is, if I'm otherwise mistaken. It's a Hammer Horror film from 1971, starring uh, Peter Cushing's in here, as he would be in Hammer Horror, kind of, it's another kind of phoned in Peter Cushing performance right at the beginning of the film right at the end possibly they couldn't afford him in the middle um and then you've got um two playmate two twins the two twins the evil twins in question or one's evil one's not are played by uh, former playmates Mary and Madeline Collinson so you can kind of tell what kind of tone we're going for with this with this fairly sleazy uh cheap lurid hammer horror piece that actually you know, it's no, it's a long way off vintage Hammer Horror. We're, we're back with sort of early 70s now, which is definitely on, on the downward turn of quality of their output. Um, that being said, it, it's kind of fun. It mixes up themes of vampirism and witchcraft, which is a slightly different way of going about it. But, you know, you've seen, that being said, you've seen all of this before and arguably better than this. Um, so it's kind of, and also ran okay for fans of Hammer Horror if you haven't seen it. Everyone else, if you are interested in engaging with Hammer Horror, go back to the 50s and early 60s because uh, they're a lot better than this. So, yeah, one for completionists only, I would say. That's Twins of Evil from 1971. Nice. Uh, this one, man, this is my one. Before we started <laughs> recording the show, I said that there's one absolute doozy mm. in my popcorn movies this week. And this is my... Perhaps, I'm going to say, this is the first film of the year that I've seen in 2020 that has really sort of blown my socks off. And I feel like okay. this is a, a front runner right now for, for sort of films of the year for me. This one right. is a, a little drama, horror, thriller movie called Swallow. Have you heard okay. of this film? I've seen the posters. I haven't seen it yet. Is this with the girl that looks very much like Jennifer Lawrence in it? Yeah, Hayley Bennett yes, is the, that's the actress it, yeah. at, at the centre. I don't give credit by not knowing her name there. But yeah, this is, yeah, I've seen the posters. I haven't got to So Hayley Bennett's been in a few things, um, including The Girl on the Train uh, with Emily yeah. Blunt not too long ago, um, and bits and pieces here and there, um, and it's sort of establishing herself. But this is a real breakout performance. So... Swallow. Uh, it is uh, written and directed by a director called Carlo uh, Mirabella Davis, not a director writer that I know a lot about. And surely, in due course, and having seen this film, I'm going to, you know, certainly do my uh, due diligence. But this is a movie that tells the story of a woman. First of all, let's start with a parallel. I talked recently about the Todd Haynes movie Safe, in which Julianne Moore's character is sort of. Um, distanced very much distanced emotionally and psychologically from her husband and she's left sort of living at home on her own and nothing's right nothing feels right and things start to to make her unwell she gets unwell and nobody really understands why what's happening with her now to jump back into swallow you have a kind of similar setup in the sense that the Haley Bennett character here is left to her own devices in this like beautiful plush very modern it's all sort of glass and shiny surfaces home while her husband played by Austin Stowell who funnily enough was the GI character in um uh what was it called the film we reviewed last week Paradise Island no Fantasy, uh, Fantasy Island. Island yeah remember the yeah. remember the military guy is that guy yeah. So he's uh, appearing here. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Sorry, I do remember the guy now. He's yeah. here again, right? And he's often not around. So he leaves her at home and she becomes pregnant. But you can tell that she is deeply unhappy in herself, in her relationship with maybe her past that we don't really know much at all about. And very soon we realise that she is 
being drawn towards the idea of consuming things. There's a, a phenomenon that I was aware of before watching this called pica, and pica is uh, a predilection for eating things that aren't typically food. Well, they aren't food. Uh, so this will be pregnant women, sometimes not pregnant people also, who'll, for example, pick up soil and eat the soil because they feel that's like what they're craving at that time. So this character, she begins with one small item, and I won't spoil what that is. Uh, you know, you can enjoy that particular discomfort for yourself. But uh, she swallows an item and it goes into her system. And then a certain time later, she passes that item. Um, and you can see that something in her has clicked because this is her way of feeling some sense of control, like a kind of internal self-harming. Um, somebody might cut themselves on the arms on the outside, but she's quite literally at times cutting herself on the inside. And from this point on, things start to spiral to the point where her husband hires a person to essentially be her minder to make sure that she can't do this anymore for the sake not only of herself, but of course, for the unborn baby that is inside her. This is rough material. I mean, like rough in the same category as something like Raw, the movie that we both enjoyed oh, okay. a few years wow. ago. And I say that not to compare the two films because the style of the two is very different, but in so much as we're dealing with something very much head on and the film isn't necessarily prepared to tell you what to think about that, which is the kind of filmmaking that I think I really appreciate oftentimes. Uh, it all builds to what is a, a really, really excellent closing shot. You know the thing that is done, for example, in a movie like Good Time or uh, Let the Sunshine mm. In that I reviewed a couple of years ago, where you have action playing out whilst the credits roll? Um, just super effective in the, well, all of those that I've mentioned, but also certainly yeah, in, in Swallow here. Hayley Bennett is phenomenal as well in this movie. Like she just does so much. Like There are moments in it where I was turning to my wife and just sort of making these comments about like, look how she's played that particular scene. So many other actresses okay. wouldn't have been up to conveying what this film needs to convey. And she did an amazing job. So yeah, Swallow's fantastic. It's an hour and a half. It won't take up a lot of your time. It's available for £3.49 on the uh, Google Play Store right now, if you're interested. I will, I will go um, and find it. So not, not going to break the bank. Um, again, you know, I do, forewarn if you are uncomfortable with like body horror stuff or uh, self-harm because I would categorize this as that and if it's going to trigger people in those regards then be a bit careful be a bit wary of sort of walking in uh, with your eyes closed but otherwise you know if you've got a strong stomach then yeah it seems relevant it seems apt a strong stomach for swallow but then uh, check it out for sure because it is a really really good piece of work. Nice, I'll find it. Um, well, that pretty much brings us to the end of Popcorn Movies for this week. We'll be back after this brief break with uh, our streaming coming attractions. And here we are, back with a slightly truncated uh, section of coming attractions because we're just readjusting to the new normal, which is previewing films that are coming out not at the cinema, uh, as they have always been for, well, the entire time that we've been doing this show. So the first one we've got on a streaming platform is, funnily enough, called The Platform. And Paul, this yeah. one's coming to Netflix. I believe you've seen a preview already. 
I have seen a preview. Yeah, this is a Spanish film. I would say that probably without giving away it, without giving away too much, just because this isn't really about what we thought, more about kind of a preview of the show. Without giving away too much, think the Cube. If you remember that Vince Vincenzo Natalia sci-fi from a few years ago, that's you know deservedly gained quite a strong cult reputation. Think kind of think kind of that kind of concept, and you're not too far wrong. So we've got low low budget Spanish sci-fi here. Um, great use of a single location, um, very, very claustrophobic. Basically, a guy wakes up in prison with someone else in his cell, rapidly realises that there's actually he's in a massive structure with cells above and below him, uh, and one plate of food is sent down kind of daily from the top to the very, very bottom of the uh, the prison structure. At the very, very top, you can have what you like. At the very, very bottom, generally, everything's been eaten. So it kind of starts at a banquet and ends uh, ends at scraps. So it's kind of like a, it's a, yeah, it's a sort of sci-fi B movie in, of, from overtly, but there's also kind of socio-political elements here as well. Um, yeah, it, check it out. It's a, it will probably because it's Spanish and it probably will be quite far down the Netflix new releases. This, but I can say, I can say without giving away too much, it's worth your time. So definitely check that out. That's the platform. Yeah, and on that front, I would just say heads up to anyone who doesn't do this already. There's decent functionality now on Netflix for the um, coming attractions, the, the the films that are going to come out in the near future if you go on the phone app for example there's bottom of your screen you'll see that and there's a the easy uh, button to press where you can set a reminder for the upcoming releases that you're interested in so if you read the synopsis or maybe watch the preview then set that reminder it means that that automatically goes into your queue once the the film has been released so in the case of something like the platform it's in my queue already only because i've done that in advance so it's a, it's a good idea i think particularly now as more and more people are going to be consuming an awful lot of streaming uh, content so yeah the platform sounds interesting from what you said and i'll i'll get onto it it's actually released today uh, we're recording on the 20th so available now uh, once you're listening to this, certainly available then. Uh, then we've got another one. This one, The Banker, uh, also a March 20th release. And which platform are we on here, Paul? Uh, this is on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, this is one of their early exclusive films. They've done a number of exclusive series. But this stars, this is directed by director called George Nolfi, um, starring Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. So I'm on board with those two With those two on it. And to be fair, Anthony Mackie is a very charismatic actor who I'm quite fond of. And my wife is desperately in love with him. So anything that he's in, she's almost tempted to watch Altered Carbon Season 2 because Anthony Mackie's in it. So uh, that work, it works for me. Um, yeah, the, so the, the premise of this is 1960, in the 1960s, two African Amer- Afri- African-American entrepreneurs hire a working-class white man to pretend to be the head of their business empire while they pose as a janitor and a chauffeur. So the concept's interesting. It's not a story i'm familiar with even if i don't know whether it's a true story or not uh the concept's interesting reviews have been kind of middling but i just with that star power attached to it i think i'll, I'll check it out for sure anyway nicholas holt as well oh okay yeah. yeah nicholas holt so yeah there's some big you know some big names big names creeping into this one so i think it'll be worth a watch i think the production values being apple the stuff i've seen on apple tv plus so far the production values are second to none so i think it's going to look great um i think it'll be whether it's any good or not i don't know i think at minimum with that cast it's bound to be watchable so um, um, that drops on Apple TV Plus. As I said, by the time you listen to this, it will be on that. It will be available because it's out today, March the twentieth. And the third and final of this week's previews, Lady and the Tramp. This is—is is it live? It's live action. Is that right? It is. I believe it's a live action remake that is launching on um, Disney Plus. Disney Plus, yeah, which comes out on the twenty fourth of March. So that's a little way off. 
well, I say that, it's four days away. Um, there's stars Tessa Thompson, um, certainly. I'm not sure who else in this. Just, um, Justin Theroux, Sam Elliott. Justin Theroux. So my, my, my mind normally just stops at Tessa Thompson and then we're done. So, um, yeah. Janelle Monae's um, yeah, in and, it as well, incidentally. As a, as a... Janelle Monae and Tessa Thompson's in it. Okay, well, there's two... Re- although, yeah, like... although we're saying this is live action, these are all voice credits. Oh, okay. Maybe it's CGI. Maybe yeah. it's the kind of a Lion King approach. I, I haven't so. seen any trailers for this or anything, to be fair. I know it's, it's kind of one of the Disney Plus's big exclusive draws. So... Um, yeah, the new new version of Lady and the Tramp. Mixed. I've had mixed thoughts on the live action adaptations of their animation so far. Um, so I'd be intrigued to see how well this one does. Pete, are you excited for this or? No, I mean, well, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not likely yet, or I haven't at least uh, managed to convince myself to get Disney Plus. I mean, we should say that Disney Plus is currently available, at least in the UK. Uh, the service is not available, as you, you rightly said, for 24th of March. But the service is available as a pre order subscription service yeah. for the price of I believe forty nine ninety nine for a year, which makes it a significantly discounted rate compared to what will be the standard monthly charge once it rolls out. So like if you were about to pull the trigger on Disney Plus, don't wait for like another three or four days because you're gonna miss out on that deal. Probably uh, the wise move would be to get that, you know, up front if you if you have the finance available, obviously in these pretty challenging times. I mean Lady and the Tramp currently has a meta score of forty eight, so it doesn't set the so world alight no, in terms of anticipation but uh, if you know there's a big influence in my life Paul and that is my wife and my wife very much (laughs) enjoys a Disney production so there may well be a strong uh, case put forward for us having Disney Plus in the future so we'll wait and see but yeah those are our three previews for this week in coming episodes we will be more prepared I would say than today in terms of giving you a full spread of what is going to be newly available on the streaming platforms that you may have available to you particularly being on a sort of increasing lockdown normality so uh, those in due course but for now we'll bounce out of this section and we'll come back with the section of the show that we call feature reviews this week we'll be reviewing the film the hunt right after this Yeah, as you said, back we are with our one feature review this week. This is The Hunt, the latest from uh, Blumhouse Production Studios. Um, and we'll be more on Blumhouse Productions later. Uh, but today we focus on The Hunt. This is directed by uh, Craig Zobel, um, written by Nick Hughes and Damon Lindelof. So two of the guys behind Lost. Um, I believe Nick Hughes is on the Lost team, I may be mistaken. Starring Bet- Betty Gilpin, Hilary Swank. Ike by Barinholtz, uh, among others. Um, Pete, set this one up a little bit for us. Yeah, so Craig Zobel, first of all, we should point out, for, for those who aren't in the know, that this guy has directed previously an excellent little film uh, called Compliance with Juma Walker, which is all about um, the manipulation of a McDonald's worker by a supposed authority figure. Really, really good. Check it out. Uh, and also a film that was kind of middling, but had some star power in it. That's Zed for Zachariah. So um, a bit of... Uh, a bit of a track record, I would say. This kind of piqued my interest because, yeah, the Blumhouse thing can kind of, can kind of be a great thing or maybe not such a great thing. But certainly Craig Zobel, off the power of something like compliance, I would be interested in what he was going to do next. But we got some very different material here to at least that movie. Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. They don't know they've been chosen and they don't know why they've been chosen for a very specific purpose, the hunt. So far, so the Hunger Games, Battle Royale and various other uh, touchstones when it comes to people in place must kill each other. 
But there's a lot to dig into with this one, not least the way in which it may or may not care about the relative reputations of the people in the cast. Among that cast, as you've mentioned, Paul, uh, Betty Gilpin, uh, Hilary Swank, Ike Barinholtz, uh, a whole host of people of considerable calibre, actually, in, in some of the roles here, um, which is an interesting point of discussion, which we have to be a bit careful with as we go into our review. But, <laughs> but sure, we'll yeah. have our full thoughts on the hunt just after we've heard a little clip. Why would they do something like that? Same reason elites do anything, because they think they're better than us. Yeah, but, but why you? I mean, it seems so personal, right? <laughs> what, what, you think it's our fucking fault? No, 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 that's not what I'm... No, I would never blame the victim. Yeah. There have to be a reason, is all. Can you think of anything, anything at all, no matter how minor, that might make somebody want to try something? Is. Yeah, so this film, interestingly, has been pushed back from last year because I think um, Bloomhouse and Universal, I think he distribute a lot of Bloomhouse's films and I think this is Universal, um, kind of got cold feet, I think, at the time because the subject matter was deemed to be controversial in the wake of what was going on in American politics at the time. Um, I'm not sure that much has changed in the last however many months since they originally pushed this back from September to March, but, you know, they have they have finally decided to push this out. Um, and as you say, the kind of the, the focus of this film is kind of liberal elites, as they're described in this, Hunting, hunting what they've described as deplorables. Um, so there is there is a certain level of, of politics on, on display here. Pete, I think that's probably a good place to start here, really. Do, do you think this is... as? Do you think this... Firstly, do you think this film thinks it's being clever? And secondly, if it does, do you think it's as clever as it thinks it is? <laughs> I... Well, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced how much the filmmakers here actually, like, legitimately care about making a political statement of any kind and if they do care they've not in my opinion done a particularly good job of it I mean it's one of those films that that comes off pretty uh sophomoric and kind of yeah dumb I mean dumb a lot of it I found yeah. dumb uh that's not to say that there aren't for me redeeming features of the movie there are things that I like very much and we'll get into those but in terms of what you were saying I mean it reminded me a little bit of the uh sort of political bent of something like Assassination Nation, which I did just loathed, that came out a year or, or maybe a year ago. Uh, just a film that's very smug about nodding at you and winking at you about the touchstones in current society that it is, uh, you know, involving in the machinations of what's going on. I mean, I would sort of rather with a film like this that I was left to form my own conclusions rather than mm. being hit over the head all the time with things that are such direct references to real world situations. And I suppose that's where I'm at with that stuff. How did you feel about the politics? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the same as you, to be honest. I mean, I'm looking at the IMDb page at the moment and on the poster. I mean, this is kind of I think they're trying to sell this as being a political satire. And I don't really think it is, to be honest. I think they, they've, they've conned on to this. I mean, so the, the quote on the poster says the most talked about movie of the year is one that no one's actually seen. And then it says The Hunt. So I think that they're trying to play into that, definitely. I think what we've got here, from my perspective, is a, is more just a kind of shameless slice of exploitation cinema than, than anything else. Um, I think where my problems start with it is 
Um, the humor from a lot of the humor here for me is, is probably my biggest problem with the film is just a lot of it doesn't land. A lot of it is, is very, very dumb. I don't know whether they're trying to be clever and just missing the mark or whether they're just bad at writing comedy. But I think a lot of the comedy where it tries to be satirical kind of falls flat. And that's kind of the weaker elements of the film, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Like, so, so yeah, what, as you said, uh, liberal elites are going to hunt the deplorables. And at the head of these liberal elites, it turns out, is a character played by Hilary Swank. And I think uh, once we eventually get to, to sort of meet that character, one of the standouts of the film, actually, is the appearance of Hilary Swank. Because I think she's really good here. Um, yeah. I, I enjoyed her quite a lot. And she seems to be enjoying herself quite a lot as well. Um, but yes, the kind of supposedly maybe ironic sort of shadowy meetings of uh, apparent liberal elites in a room uh, talking about their plans and sort of justifying their plans just all I found a bit tedious and not clever. Uh, what I think is the sort of glue that holds the film together, if indeed it is held together, and that will be up to people to decide, is Betty Gilpin. Betty, She's great. In yeah, this. <laughs> Betty Gilpin is, is really, really good. Um, She's embodied this character with this sort of um, like uh, down to earth kind of grounded nature. But at the same time, she doesn't take any nonsense and she's willing to sort of rise to the challenge. She gives people the benefit of the doubt until it's time to not do that anymore and to kind of, well, in most cases, end them violently. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, it's one of those not unlike Samara Weaving in Ready or Not, where she's really brought to the film maybe more than there was in the script and I mm. think that's um, really to be commended because this is a lot of this is just fairly limp fairly forgettable fairly bloated fairly smug stuff but when you've got a performance like that at the centre it just keeps it moving it keeps you interested and it keeps you engaged and you know I'm not going to spoil anything but I can say don't get too attached to any of the names in the cast list because no. uh, they and I'll give it credit for that I'll, and I'll, I will give it credit the other way I'll give it credit is it like this film is not afraid of throwing you right in at the deep end mm. and that's one of the bits I, I quite liked about this film that I think from from my perspective as as a sort of throwaway cheap trashy ex gory exploitation film I had a great time with this that's, that's kind of films that I I probably would say that at times I certainly am more fond of than you are I think it's fair to say um and, and I and on, the, on that level I had a good time with this and I, I quite like the fact it didn't waste any time in throwing you the deep end like the film starts with about five minutes, people are dying and people are dying horrifically and then it doesn't let up until the end. So I thought it was quite an intense, quite pacey, quite quite entertaining package in that regard. But yeah, in terms of, as you say, in terms of the humour and, and the other bits, if it is trying to be clever, it falls on its, definitely falls on its arse on, on, on that regard. And yeah, I completely agree with what you said about Betty Gilpin. I think she is, she is the absolute heart of this film. And I think without her performance being as strong, um, I don't think there'd be much to take away from this. No, no. And you get, you know, yeah, as you were saying, sort of bang for your buck in terms of like shootings and stabbings and impalings and stuff like that, you know, <laughs> fill your boots because uh, there's a lot of it going on here. And uh, and yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Like, I don't know. You see, I, I, I shouldn't. Maybe I'm being defensive. I slightly bulk at the idea that like you're more into exploitation movies because I just feel like I'm into exploitation movies if they're good. Like, if they're good, yeah. and I don't mean good, like, respectable, far from it. Like, they can be horrendous and violent and gory and horrible. But there has to be something there. There has to be a, a spark of, like, <laughs> particular creativity or a particular idea that's really been seen through to its logical conclusion. Do you know what? I'll concede that. I'll concede that and I'll let you have that. So, basically, I'm more forgiving of trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very honest. 
Um, well, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. That's where you're going. And to be fair, you're probably right. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but I, I mean, maybe also, maybe I have um, become more not discerning, but like less tolerant sometimes of like exploitation stuff than maybe I was in the past. And I've sort of mm. raised a bar for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I mean, getting back to the the film in question. I basically like those elements of it are what I like about it. You know, when it is just, this is a stripped down, you know, simple set of rules, kind of high concept, uh, blood bath. Great. I'm for that. When it starts to like break the fourth wall almost and be like, Hey, look at the situation in America. Mm. Look how this film's like that. But imagine if it was taken to this crazy degree, then I think like you guys are out of your depth and it it's dumb and it's not for me. It's for someone else. Um, so yeah, kind of two sides to this particular coin, I guess, but it's entertaining. I mean, as far as these, we're going to get into this more with the top five, Paul, but like, as far as Blumhouse films go, you kind of roll the dice, don't you? You know that you're getting something that's likely to skew sort of gory or creepy or chilling mm. in some way. And you also know that they're uh, a production company that takes risks on things that have usually lower budgets and usually a chance of either making a large amount of money in relative terms to that budget or kind of disappearing. And I think this is one that falls a bit in between two posts because yes, there'll be a bit of buzz about it. Is it going to be the most talked about film of the year? Hell no. No one no, will be talking about this not. in no, a few no. you know, months time. No, absolutely not. And there's, there's much better Blumhouse films out there than this one, which, which we will get to very shortly, listeners. <laughs> Anything more, though, Paul? Like final thoughts on The Hunt? No, not really, to be honest. I think that covers... Yeah, for me, trashy, trashy, throwaway sort of exploitation action film that I, I enjoyed. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely forgettable. Yeah, and props. Let's see more of this kind of stuff from Hilary Swank, please. It was, uh, yeah, it was good it was fun. fun. If short-lived, yeah, fun. it was good fun. So, uh, and Betty Gilpin's great here. That's what I just wanted to close on a positive. Betty Gilpin is the heart of the film. She is, man. And as you said, I think you said, this is going to streaming fairly soon, right? Uh, yeah, so this is, well, whether it happens in the UK or not, I don't know. It's certainly going to stream in the US. Well, it will be $20 to stream initially. I wouldn't recommend you spend $20 streaming this. Maybe wait a little bit longer and it will be on Netflix at some point. So yeah, hang fire. Don't spend $20 streaming this, but watch it on Netflix. There you go. Yeah, it feels like the kind of film that you shouldn't pay for. You should sort of kill someone and then steal it from them. But don't do not do that. Let's retain... No, don't, don't encourage that behaviour in this in this. No, let's retain our all. civility. We're better than that. Um, yes, uh, talking of uh, being better than that though we're going to list some films that may in fact be better than that and may come also from the Blumhouse company so we'll do that in our top five Blumhouse movies right after this Right, so back we are with our top five Blumhouse movies. So these are movies that have been produced by the Blumhouse production company. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. Um, Pete, do you want to start us off with your number five? Yeah, well, first of all, I wanted to say on the front end that um, something that was a bit of a revelation to me in researching this is that the guy isn't called Jason Blumhouse, as or Bloomhouse, as we used to say on Jason the show. Jason Blum, isn't it? He's called Jason Blum. 
sounds this like Plum. Uh, he is a real man. He is 51 years of age. And yes, he came from sort of the studio side of filmmaking, ventured into some indie projects, new people who are working in indie filmmaking, and then had this sort of vision for indie productions, but then studio distribution. And that's what he's kind of aimed at. Within that are these kind of a set of loose rules, I guess. And, and centrally to those rules is to budget things at usually no more than $5 million, which sounds like to you and I a lot of money, but in film production circles, of course, is pretty minimal when it comes to something that you're then hoping to distribute on a on a wider scale. So uh, has, he's had some success. He's had some failures. The studio at large has had both, or the production company, we should say, has had both. And hopefully we're going to look here at the top end of those. So that's all to say that my number five is a little film that we both like, Paul. I know this because we've talked about it a number of times on the show. From director and writer Patrick Bryce, this one is Creep from 2014. Uh, Creep uh, was sold to Netflix eventually. So I don't have accurate numbers in terms of takings or budget on this one. But I would imagine this is low below the five million threshold i, I, I would have thought so be pretty yeah. confident yeah. Uh, currently an 89 percent approval rating with rotten tomatoes which is not a metric that i usually put much stock in but i think it does show with blumhouse films at least where you've had a, a modicum of success and when we've talked about it before what you highlight about this one is that on this minimal budget and with a lot of handheld uh, footage, you have Mark Duplass just getting to have a great time being the eponymous creep here uh, who invites a guy over to his home to record him, to make some kind of record of his life. Uh, that man is uh, embodied by Patrick Bryce himself, who is behind the camera at all times. So you're just watching Duplass play to the camera and freak you out and get weirder and just give you that feeling that I love from um, great sort of thrillers. Uh, I shouldn't say thrillers, like chillers and, uh, mm. and horror stuff where it's like one of the scariest things that there is for me is when people are behaving in a way that doesn't conform to how you expect people to behave. It's such a simple thing, but it can be so effective. And so I think what's so great about Creep is it manages to to catch that in a, you know, like lightning in a bottle of such a such a creepy performance from an actor that we know as being this kind of schlubby everyman across a huge number of projects both his own and others other people's projects and when you think about Mark Duplass now it's almost impossible not to think of him as this character which I think is great credit to the movie Creep I believe may still be on Netflix to, it is still on stream. Netflix yeah uh, I'm trying to convince my wife to watch that and Creep 2 which might come up on my list in a minute yeah uh, but yeah it's definitely still available on Netflix yeah. so check it out if you've got some time in and the a end. scant one hour and 17 minutes and then you go and throw Desiree Akivan into the sequel and that just you know adds to things so yeah uh, Creep really good 2014 liked it it's my number 5 what's your number 5 Paul? Uh, my number 5 is from 2015 Directed by one of my absolutely favourite motherfuckers in Hollywood, Joel Edgerton. This is The Gift, um, starring, in fact, Joel Edgerton, Jason Bateman, Joel Edgerton, and Rebecca Hall. Um, yeah, this is just a very, very tense, creepy thriller um, that gets a really, really, really off kilter and quite terrifying performance out of Jason Bateman, which I quite like, which is possibly a minor spoiler there. Um, but hopefully, you have. Hopefully, that doesn't ruin the film too much. Yeah, it's just this is this is kind of Jason Blum, Blumhouse Productions kind of working at their best, really, where they get some very talented 
talented people together um, and give them some money to make to make some some great genre work. And I thought the gift, yeah, to talk too much about the gift, I'll spoil it. So I'm gonna, probably going to close my mouth there. But yeah, the gift, if you haven't seen it, is well worth checking out. Pete, have you seen this? Yeah. Is this? Yeah. It's not on my so list. No it's not on my list. Oh, okay. But it was on my kind of long list when, when yeah. I was doing this. Yeah. No, I really liked it. I really liked it. So yeah, that's my number five is the gift. Nice. My number four is. I think looking down the list here is my sort of consensus lowest rated um, of the films here. I, I mean, in the sense of Rotten Tomatoes and Metascore and so on. But I really like this movie and I feel like I kind of talk about it quite a bit. This is from Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, quite a prolific now sort of mystery horror uh, filmmaker who I think has a real sense of atmosphere in his movies not all of them work flawlessly but I think that he is certainly one to watch because I've enjoyed Oculus the movie that I'm talking about now also Hush which came from Blumhouse and, and others as well before I wake I reviewed not long ago on the show it was not bad um, but yeah this one Oculus is all about a woman who's trying to exonerate her brother who's convicted of murder by proving that the crime was committed by a supernatural phenomenon. It plays a lot on the uh, power of the mirror image, uh, Oculus, and a com completely unforgettable sequence. I should say at the centre of this one is Karen Gillan, who I like a great deal anyway. That helps, I guess, with my affection for it. But uh, there's a sequence involving a, an apple and a light bulb. And is it an apple or is it a light bulb that, that I will never, ever forget? And neither will you if you watch this movie. Uh, Katie Sackoff from Battlestar Galactica is also in here. Uh, I just it, it, it was one of those that I knew nothing about going in. And so it was just a lovely surprise, uh, Oculus. And I think some of the best Blumhouse stuff is that it's maybe you go in with middling to no expectations you, know you hit the nail on the head there is sometimes you just come out and go shit that was good yeah yeah you take a punt and i think much like the studio uh, excuse me the the company themselves they take these relatively low stakes gambles and some of them like this you put the project in the hands of someone as capable as mike flanagan and you get something i think really good and Maybe not everyone agrees on Oculus, but I definitely think if you're a horror fan, it's worth. I your like time. it. I thought it was. It doesn't made my list, but I thought it was. I thought it was good. And he's went into directed Doctor Sleep as well, didn't he? That's so right. To yeah. catch up with, but yeah, no, I liked Oculus. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a good, good, good horror. So what have you got yeah, next? I'm with you on that one. Uh, Creep Two, Pete, is my number four. Um, for me, sequel. One of the rare sequels actually improves on the original a little bit, I think. Um, and that is, and I'm with you down to the appearance of one Desiree Akavan, um, who absolutely brings this up to a whole nother level again. I just it's another really really tight I love the fact that both of these films are the, the one hour around about the one hour 15 minute mark so there's no there's nothing wasted with these I think a lot of the time with found footage stuff they tend to run on too long if you're going to do found footage stuff and going back to what you said about Creep the first time I watched Creep and the reason I was kind of so reluctant to watch it until your recommendation I was just like oh another found footage film do we really need another one of these and actually it just works very very well the direction's incredibly tight Mark Duplass is brilliant again Desiree Akavan is, is more than a match for him in this and Patrick Bryce's direction is just it's just really really tight so yeah just yeah massive massive props to both the creep films if you haven't seen them then absolutely check them out but yeah creep 2 is my number four nice so now we're getting into it now we're getting into that turn when you realize as you scan down what blumhouse have been attached to there are a few outliers aren't there paul there are a few films that people are going to know about and i almost felt like I, I don't know, maybe I want to leave these off the list so that I can draw attention to some other things that I really like. And maybe I'll give some honourable mentions once we get to number one. But okay. I'm talking around the topic. Uh, number three for me 
was I w- rushing or was I dragging? It is uh, Whiplash <laughs> from 2014 from, of course, writer-director Damien Chazelle, a guy who I think I was really high on and then maybe that's dwindled a little bit as we've gone sort of through um, La La Land and, and First Man. Not that they are not very, very good, very accomplished projects, but just maybe not as standout as I found Whiplash. Miles Teller is sensational here. He plays a, obviously a drummer who's obsessive to the point of doing anything that he needs to do, including including clearing out his, his personal life, um, maybe uh, coming to... to uh, loggerheads with his family and certainly butting heads with the well the standout in the movie jk simmons as the guy who is teaching uh, music at the very exclusive music college that he's attending who will get right in your face and tell you just where you're going wrong and just how wrong you're going i mean anyone who's seen it knows all the kind of beats forgive the pun of whiplash um not least that unexpected violent moment that happens near the end of the movie is all I can say about it Uh, but yeah I want to go back and watch it again I think I've seen it twice since release Uh, Whiplash is is great and the fact that Blumhouse is attached seems almost a a little bit strange of course it took me by surprise to be honest when I was checking it it might be later on my list but it took me by surprise a little bit to be honest that this had been produced produced by them yeah it's it's Um, Sony Pictures are also involved Sony Picture Classics are also involved with with Whiplash and often it's that Blumhouse work in conjunction with you know uh, distributors and other other uh, film production teams or companies um in the case of others on the list i mean like oculus working with relativity media and uh, the orchard in the case of creep but yeah uh this damien chazelle movie that i'm supposed to be talking about here it really good really memorable really uh, impactful um, in all the right ways for a film about drumming so yeah uh, whiplash is my number three uh, and Whiplash, Pete, is also my number three. So um, I'm not gonna, not going to add too much to what you've just said there, to be honest. But yeah, kind of. Yeah, I kind of wanted to, as much as it's probably the one of the better film. Probably it might even be a better film than some of the others higher up the list. I'll be perfectly honest. But I think for me, like, like I don't normally associate this with the kind of stuff that Blumhouse make necessarily. Um, but it is a great film, and I, I'm a big fan of Whiplash. So that's why it's down at number three. It probably should be number one in terms of quality of filmmaking. But this. There's two films I, I probably enjoyed a little bit more that are left on my list. So, yeah, Whiplash is my number three. Um, Pete, that bl- puts you on to number two, I do believe. Not before this. I've got a quiz for you. What do you okay. think the American uh, dollar budget of Whiplash was? 14 million. 3.3 million dollars. Wow. Incredible. Uh, That's bo- wow. Making okay. domestically 49.9, 49.9, I should say, uh, and, and upwards of that, obviously, worldwide and in terms of distribution later on. So, yeah, that's a, a success story for sure. And uh, 93% approval rating it has right now on Rotten Tomatoes, obviously showing that. This is a hit, uh, 88 uh, meta score as well. But you asked me a question which I now need to answer, which is what is my number two? My number two is a little film you might not have heard of called Get Out from... Uh, writer and director called Jordan Peele who has now become a hot shit when it comes to sort of (laughs) mid-budget horror 
productions, both uh, in terms of series and features. This, of course, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Alison Williams. They're this couple where the Kaluuya character is uh, black and Alison Williams' character is white. And Kaluuya's character is going to visit, for the first time, the parents of his girlfriend uh, with some trepidation. But he thinks, you know, it's basically going to go fine and I'm going to behave myself and we're all going to be all good and we'll realise that we've got more in common than we have got apart. And then Jordan Peele uses this thing to deconstruct race relations across essentially the history of the United States. Um, It is a pretty astounding piece of work um, and it was my number one and at the last minute I shifted it around and put it at number two. Uh, Things that I remember from the movie most of all, of course the famous uh, cup of tea and the noise it makes when the spoon hits (laughs) the side of the cup of tea. Uh, In addition, uh, Caleb Landry Jones being a fucking pasty-faced weirdo as always in this one. In this case, uh, wanting to rear naked choke people if possible, uh, even in, in, in demonstration form. Uh, Catherine Keener, of course, who is the person who stirs the tea, is just like a ray of of sort of warmth then turned in on itself here as this really creepy, uh, creepy figure. And things just get weirder and weirder. Of course, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, so great here, kind of a breakout performance from him. I mean, you can go on and on. Get Out is really good, is my point. And that is my number two. A film which cost Paul 4.5 million US dollars. And made a uh, total in the United States of two hundred and fifty-five million dollars. I'd say that consider that's considered a hit, Pete. Not <laughs> bad. I don't think Blumhouse is going out of business anytime soon. No, no. Um, obviously, obviously, all that money doesn't go directly to your boy Jason, but I'm sure he does all right out of it. Yeah, I think he's probably doing all right. To be fair, my number two, Pete, is Upgrade. Um, this is an absolutely batshit crazy sci-fi action film from director Lee One L, who recently bought us the fairly decent Invisible Man um, reboot. Uh, this stars Logan Marshall Green as a quadriplegic, quadriplegic car crash victim um, who is offered the chance to regain full movement of his body with an experimental computer chip, um, like an AI chip that can that can not only give him back full movement in his body, but it turns out enhance him and turn him into an absolutely ass-kicking killing machine. Um, yeah, I was pretty cynical as to this would as to whether this would be any good or not, or as to whether this would be kind of bottom shelf b-movie trash um and actually it's really not it's really really well made the action scenes are are absolutely superb and i'll be honest from start to finish it's one of those films i watched with just a massive smile on my face all the way through and i was just like i felt like a giddy 15 year old boy again just like yeah take that yeah kick the shit out of him like have it like i really really had a great time with upgrade it's a very very pacey sci-fi and again like you say it's one of these films where like with the blumhouse stuff you walk in it could be fantasy island and that's fine but it could be upgrade like and because there's a chance it could be upgrade or there's a chance it could be the film that's number one on my list you're always willing to take that gamble with the films i think um and this is a prime example of that so yeah upgrade if you haven't seen it trust me it's a whole heap of fun the effects are great the fight scenes are superb um it's everything the film venom should have been i'll leave it at that pete what have you got what have you got next? Your number one, I believe. It is my number one, yeah. And I'm keen to get to this uh, honourable mention section because I do feel like I've done a disservice. I've done dirty on a couple of movies that were originally on my top five. But things have got shunted because my number one is from 2018 and it is the Spike Lee movie Black Klansman, which uh, almost bizarrely is uh, got the Blumhouse imprint attached to it. 
this one stars, of course, John David Washington as this guy, Ron Stallworth, who's an African-American police officer who is going to infiltrate the Ku Klux Klan with the help of his colleague, played by uh, a white actor, uh, Adam Driver. And in combination, they set about trying to work their way into the Klan and, and investigate what's going on there in terms of a specific uh, set of plans for a, a, essentially a terrorist attack. Uh, this movie, I know that we had slightly differing views maybe on Black Klansman on release and when we feature reviewed it, but I just found it to be... Um, I've been for years now, I think, hoping that Spike Lee gets back somewhere like to his former glory. And there have been a number of missteps where I've just felt kind of dismayed and kind of let down and a bit disappointed in a director that I liked a great deal. And I think that this movie is really like up there up there with the very best of Spike Lee's work I and I think it, don't get me wrong, I know we didn't but... see totally eye to eye on this but I think the way in which he ties no 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 no. and I'm not sorry I'll, I'll finish what I'm saying because then it, it'll make more sense like I'm not saying that like I was positive you were negative I don't mean that at all I mean like uh, the way in which he ties very real world events to the events in Black Klansman particularly with the use of the footage at the end of the movie uh, for me was an absolute gut puncher and was like really well uh, selected I guess really well used and really well earned by the movie and I know that maybe not everybody shared those sentiments um, and there was some sort of contention and discussion around that but yeah for me this movie managed to be at turns laugh out loud funny and moving and kind of chilling and um, and sort of chastening in ways that I don't think many directors would be able to achieve and of course that's also a credit to the script writers here the screenwriters uh but yeah spike lee's rarely been better than with black Klansman, so that's why i kind of had to put it top it's also got paul walter hauser in it of course who recently was in richard jewell which yeah as i said last week kind of fades away into nothingness by the end but is an actor that i'm keeping an eye on because i've enjoyed him in, in almost everything this I, Tonya, that movie, uh, Kingdom, and so on. So, uh, yeah, Black Klansman is my number one. I'll stop talking. What have you got at number one, Paul? Uh, I've, I haven't gone quite as deep a cut as Black Klansman, I'll be honest. I've gone with one, again, one of those films that you walk into. In fact, I saw the trailers. I didn't see this at the cinema, I'll be completely honest. Um, I picked this up on word of mouth. I was like, that looks shit. I'm not interested at all. This is directed by Christopher Landon, and this is Happy Death Day from 2017. My word, was this a pleasant surprise for me. I think I've watched it about three times since. Um, yeah, the, it's a very silly concept. A college student must relive the day of her murder over and over again in a loop that will end only when she discovers her killer's identity. So it's kind of like she dies, she wakes up, she dies, she wakes up, and she has to work out what's going on. It doesn't take itself too seriously in the slightest. It's highly entertaining. And why... Can you tell me, Pete, why Jessica Roth is not a bigger star just yeah. on the basis of this film alone? Because she is brilliant. I really like... The sequel nearly made this list as well, but I kind of wanted to do one from each series. I think she's great in this. I, I, I'm surprised she hasn't been elsewhere. She's great in the sequel as well. Um, I just think this is such a fun such a fun silly horror film that doesn't take itself too seriously and just it just works it's just very very silly very very underrated and i think very very underseen horror film if you haven't seen it you should definitely check it out uh, the sequel is very good as well the sequel takes things in in very in a di slightly different direction and actually kind of stands on its own two feet as a good enough film in its own right but if you haven't seen happy death day i urge you to seek it out especially in in these glum times it's it certainly will be some some light relief for you but happy death day she, is great jessica roth apparently um, I i'd forgotten this entirely played alexis in la la land yeah um oh did she so 
Yeah, okay. she's done bits and pieces. There are a few films coming out, but it will be very hasty if I'm to say anything about those right now. I'm just looking for like who she's working with, really. But yeah, an actress to watch for sure. And I agree with you, man. This was like a kind of a, a, a one where I thought I'm going to this because I go to everything. I thought this might be a truth or dare, yeah, and it's yeah, not. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely not. And yeah, talking of what if, what is not the bottom of the barrel, um, and feel free to to pitch in, Hipple. One that I do feel kind of bad that I didn't put onto the list, and it just got pushed out on quality, essentially, uh, is going to be uh, Paranormal Activity. Because Paranormal Activity kind of made Blumhouse possible in the amount that they mm. made financially off the movie, but in, also in the fact that it sort of revitalised found footage as a sort of ongoing concern. And not everybody goes for Paranormal Activity, but to me, and I've talked about this on the show before when we did, like, scariest scenes, I think, uh, has a couple of moments in it that are so m- much more, like, chilling and unsettling than they have any right to be in a film that cost about 14 quid to make it's a real testament to what the filmmakers did there a a real life couple made that movie for like honestly twenty thousand dollars or something like that and Mm. what they've done off the back of that is crazy and i mean i don't mean so much what they've done with the i mean we're still getting sequels to paranormal activity with diminishing returns but that movie i think deserved props also yeah happy death day i was going to include so glad you did uh the belco experiment from a couple of years ago was pretty good fun yeah that nearly very nearly made my list i enjoyed the belco experiment if i yeah that i really enjoyed the belco experiment again like knows exactly what it is doesn't take it too seriously yeah and isn't it james gunn's brother who's in that movie yeah. It is, yes. I think it was originally going to be directed by James Gunn until he got snapped up by the uh, massive world of Marvel. Mm. So um, I'm pretty sure it didn't. It, end, it was directed by the guy that made Wolf Creek in the McClane? end, wasn't it? Greg yeah. McLean, I think. Yeah, Greg McLean. Um, yeah. Another one yeah. that we both liked. I'm pretty sure Unfriended. Unfriended was solid. Yeah. Again, that. zero expectations. So it did more than that. Yeah. Um, with this whole idea of having uh, like internet surfing as the basis for a horror movie, essentially. Uh, so they, they pulled that off. Uh, the Invisible Man we've talked about recently, but I was it was in contention at least sort of top ten or fifteen for this list. Um, there's the movie made by the guys that made the the documentary Catfish. This one I talked about on our show. It's called Viral. It's worth a look, actually. I've not seen um, this one yet. Yeah, uh, Nev and Shulman and I'd forget their names, but yeah, those yeah. lads who made uh, who made Catfish. Uh, Upgrade, you've mentioned it already. Uh, Creep Two, you've mentioned it already. The Gift, you mentioned it already. Hush, also from Mike Flanagan, which is. Um, I've not caught up with Hush yet. I've been meaning to. It's for a good while, stuff. But... It playing on the idea that the central girl who is the victim of a home invasion is deaf, and this is played with in in various ways that I think are quite interesting, quite well done, and uh, also uh, Hush, and I've also got Plush. Uh, Plush is um a, 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 oh what's her name Emily Emily Browning plays a uh, a kind yeah. of rock star and some of it is creaky and ridiculous but it is the um, director Catherine Hardwick who made like 13 and um uh bits and pieces that I Quite think nice. are, are interesting <laughs> so yeah uh, anyway th- those are mine have you got any more that we've sort of missed out here for Probably not that jumps out at me, to be honest. I think you've covered them off there. It was happy death day to you, really. I wanted to give a shout-out to the sequel as well and, you know, the original Creep, but you've covered that off. So, um, yeah, Fantasy Island as well, obviously, should make uh, some some list mm. somewhere along the way. Uh, an absolute winner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Ouija. Actually, both of the Ouija movies, not too bad. I'm going to say it. Not Okay, I've not seen not either. Not too to bad. Fair, so. Worth a look. Uh, the right. P- Purge movies have obviously done big business for Blumhouse, but I'm not so on board with those, I would say. No, I'm with you. The purge was like, the purge stuff's okay, 
but yeah, kind of also ran really. I wouldn't, yeah. Nice. Well, that yeah. brings us to the end then of our top five Blumhouse movies uh, for this episode, and it brings us almost to the episode's end entirely. Have you got any uh, credits for this week, Paul? Anything you want to recommend? Uh, no. In all honesty, I've just been wrapped up in the madness of what's been going on. I've been very busy at work and I haven't had much time to think about anything else. So, um, yeah, credit to anyone. Credit to, I mean, yeah, credit to anyone working in the film industry. Basically, please, please don't abandon us. Please keep at it. I know it's a hard time, and you have, you have, for what it's worth, you have our love and affection. Mm. Um, yeah, so credit to you guys. I, I just wanted to give one small one, which is uh, something I might have mentioned on the show before in credits, but this is one really for the world of uh, sort of isolation that is in our future. Uh, Phil Hendry. Are you aware of Phil Hendry, Paul? I am uh, Phil Hendry has a show. It's called The Phil Hendry Show. It's available as a podcast. He's been a broadcaster in American radio circles for many a year. Um, but this guy is a phenomenon. He sits in a studio recording his show alone. But on every show, he embodies a whole cast of different characters. So they have conversations with each other throughout the show. But they are all him. So uh, Phil Hendry just put out, I went back to his show this week because I was looking for more content that maybe wasn't going to just talk about coronavirus. And uh, yeah. what he'd done is he'd made up a character who was going to release uh, a compilation of, I think he said, 1500 songs, all of them performed on the mouth orchestra. <laughs> and so he then went about explaining his process whereby he comes up with every song in 10 to 15 seconds because he doesn't really like coming up with the songs. He finds it tedious and he wants to do something else you kind of have to listen to the show to understand why this guy if he were if he were an english entertainer should be an absolute national treasure and i think that in certain circles in the states he is in north america he is but i cannot stress enough if you want to listen to a man somewhere like right on the edge of comic genius and complete mental breakdown and insanity Phil Hendry's your guy, right. and I love him for it. So uh, check it out, check it out. And I'm, sh I would say if you have the chance, but you will have the chance because you've probably got all the time in the world <laughs> coming up. Uh, yes. Apart from that, get in touch with us, of course. Uh, contact details: we've got at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, we've got the Facebook page, we've got the Instagram page, which is updated fairly regularly. We've also got strangersinacinema at gmail.com for longer email correspondence or any questions or queries you have for this show. Other than that, Paul, have we missed anything? Uh, no, that's it from us. We'll be back next week with reviews of some films. <laughs> Shut up and sit down.